And Jesus, we ask that we would be we would be open to what you have for us today. Lord, so many people may have, uh, some people may have walked in this room just carrying a heavy load this morning. And Lord, I pray that they would be able to cast that burden off, Lord, this morning and place it into your hands, Lord. Lord, for those who may be in need of healing, whether even physical or spiritual healing, Lord, we ask that you would show up in big ways this morning. And Lord, for those of us in this room that may have just hard hearts that have just um, just felt themselves doubling down even during worship, just not really quite ready for you to, to, to have all of them, Lord. Would I pray that those walls would come tumbling down this morning. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you have sent your spirit to us, Lord, that we may just have encounters with you, communion with you, friendship with God our Father. We love you, Jesus, so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, our scripture today is in John chapter 6. If you have a Bible or a Red Pew Bible, that's page 1055. As you were turning there, in a New York Times article from September 2021, Catherine Seeley wrote an interesting obituary about Robert Klamer. He was the creator of the board game Life. Anybody played Life before? I've never played Life. Isn't that crazy? I don't think I have. Maybe I have, but I just have no memory of ever doing it. But the idea, apparently, right, is to live a life on the game that is successful, right, or I guess meaningful according to the rules of the game. The game went on in its lifetime to sell 70 million copies and became a, a pretty central, iconic piece of kind of Americana board game, you know, culture, I guess, if you want to say. Claimer originally created it in 1960, and in its original version, the emphasis of the game at that time was that life was determinative on making money, and you were on a fixed, determinative path with a clear end goal in mind. This says, once you get here, you win the game, the game of life. That was kind of indicative of the time that the game was created. Times changed, and so did the game. They wanted to keep the game, you know, relative uh, to, um, relevant to life as it changed in our society. And so uh, the game changed with players encountering things like midlife crises and being rewarded for good deeds, like recycling the trash and helping homeless people and so forth. But as Jill Lepore wrote in The New Yorker in 2007, the redesign team of this game, they always had a hard time addressing the fundamental criticism of the game of life. 
that the only way to reward a player for virtuous acts was with money, right? Save an endangered species, collect $200,000. Solution to pollution, $250,000, right? Open health food chain, $100,000. So the company's 2007 overhaul um, made the game called, uh, they updated the whole thing and called it the game of life, twists and turns. It was almost an existential update. Instead of putting players on a fixed path, it provided multiple ways to start out in life, but gets this, but there was nowhere to finish. This was the actual game's selling point. This is Mrs. Lepore, who's writing an article about this. The actual game's selling point was this, that it had no goal. And she wrote, life is aimless. Now, this generally represents, I think it does, secular thinking. I think we could say that perhaps one of the greatest hopes we have in life is that that is not true, right? I mean, God, please, like, no. I hope that there is an aim for my life, right? I I, I certainly hope that that is not true. And that's part of why people begin exploring Christianity, hoping Even though sometimes it may feel like life is aimless, that it's actually not aimless. That there are answers somewhere to discover that our lives are not aimless after all, right? And so today's sermon series is within this this broader series, um, say sermons within a broader series that we're calling People Together with God. And we're looking at today a, a huge group of hungry people who are also a tad bit aimless, right? And what we're going to see today is a, is a community, is a church, what it means to actually chase after Jesus and what we're actually chasing when we go after him. And I hope this going to be just encouraging and instructive for us as a church. And so we're going to um, begin here in John chapter 6. We're going to kind of walk in and out of the whole story here that's found in John chapter 6, most of the story. It's a long chapter. And so we're going to begin here at the beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for this people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. That's the Jesus way, right? He always knows what he's going to do. Just he brings people along for the ride, right? Verse 7, Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Do you catch a little sarcasm maybe, Andrew? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. 
Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much, uh, as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Fish sandwiches. Apparently, Jesus endorses fish sandwiches. Maybe he created fish sandwiches. This is like the second time, first time in the gospel, Mark, he eats fish sandwiches anyway. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, it's capital P, if you say that, most translations will have that, the capital P prophet, this is the prophet who has come into the world. So to begin with, we, we, we need to see in verse 2, if he caught that, why were they chasing after Jesus? Right, verse 2 tells us they were following him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. So what does this off the bat indicate that they were really chasing after? What were they chasing after? Were they looking for healing or the one who was giving the healing? It's an important question, right? Were they looking for the healing or the one who was giving the healing? And that's going to be a question we return to throughout our time this morning. Jesus then went on to a mountaintop with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. So think of, you know, this is April, right? Air is fresh and crisp and everyone's shaking off the cold of winter and, 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 and you know, uh, embracing the warmth of spring. In verse 5, Jesus looks up and he sees this massive crowd coming his way. Um, later on in the story, we learn that this is 5,000 people, okay? So that's a lot of people just walking to see you. Like, I would be a little bit anxious. It's like, whoa, this is crazy. That's a huge amount of people, right? So they're hanging out, and this kind of roar murmur of the crowd is coming. And Jesus looks to Philip and says, we need some bread for all these people. Um, I mean, this is kind of a funny question, because even today, I mean, who, who has hosted dinner for like 20 people before? You don't just like look at your watch and be like, hey, let's start a dinner for like 20 people like now. You don't, right? You, you probably get a little sweaty just thinking about that, right? I mean, to host a dinner, it takes work. It takes planning. It takes labor, right? And there's 5,000 people. And he's like, hey, yo, Philip, we need some bread. Where are we going to get bread? Like Costco didn't exist, okay? Even if today you wanted to get enough bread for 5,000 people, I should did, that's like 500 loaves of bread, okay, for one sandwich per person. Like, it's crazy, right? It's a truckload. Um, and, and, and Phillips, I, I would have totally failed that question, you know, if Jesus asked me, been like, I don't know because that's impossible, Jesus, thank you. I'm not, I'm not interested in doing this for 5,000 people, actually, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not right now, this is crazy. Um, Phillips' response is not really a faith, Right? But he's kind of the administrative one of the bunch because his question isn't so much where the bread will be found. He wants to know how, like money. Like who's going to pay for this, Jesus? He's like, you know that's eight months of a salary just to get bread for all these people? Um, then Andrew, Peter's brother, finds the, the handful of, you know, loaves and a couple of fish. And we said maybe a little hint of sarcasm, sarcasms like, Here's enough food. We're going to square it up in little crumbles for 5,000 people, Jesus. But, you know, this is all we got, right? Now, we don't see anywhere that in this story it says the people were hungry. 
right? Jesus, as the Son of God, knew, he knew they were hungry. Physically, yeah, sure, he knew they were hungry, but he had a different hunger, ultimately, in mind. So he directs his disciples to go into the crowd and ask the masses to sit down, right? Again, this was April, springtime, Passover was soon. The grass, the grass had, you know, broken through. It was nice and fresh and thick on the ground. And it was a perfect time for a supernatural picnic, right? So he takes the loaves from the fish uh, and the fish from the boy. He starts passing out the food. Now, you know, it's, it's just hard to imagine being, being there and what it would have been like, okay, because the crowd would have been aware if there was 5,000, you know, slices of bread walking up. Like, you would have seen that. They didn't see food anywhere, but food kept showing up as the basket was passed, right? It's like you kept lifting a little piece of bread, I guess. There was just more bread. And it just kind of, like, kept happening, all right? So after a while, you can imagine the amazement of, this is crazy. Like, this is it's a miracle. Like, this bread shouldn't still be coming up, but we still have bread, right? And it kept happening. They kept passing out food, and then kept passing out fish. And so they became aware that something miraculous was happening right in front of their very eyes, and they have this feeling, this, 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 this unction, because for centuries, Israel had been looking for a prophet like Moses, and Deuteronomy 17 can read about this, looking for the Messiah, looking for someone who would come to redeem them and to rescue them from just the grasp of Rome and to restore them to the glory that was theirs in old times. And they said, this has got to be it. Like, we haven't seen anything like this before. This must be the prophet. This must be him. So this crowd was apparently hungry for help in many ways. As we just mentioned, they were, this, this wasn't good cultural, social times for Israel. They were oppressed beneath Rome, right? They were all looking for this kind of Moses 2.0, if you will, figure to come up. That was their hunger. They saw Jesus meeting this, their physical hunger. And then they said, maybe... It's time for a political revolution. What does the next verse say, chapter, or verse 15? Jesus saw the stir of the crowd, knowing that they intended to come and take him, make him king by force. Like that, that word literally means to like kidnap, <laughs> like to seize, like you have no choice, Jesus. Like drag him, like this is it, we're ready to run. And, they, and then what did he do? He withdrew to a mountain by himself. So one thing that's really interesting here is that if you read slowly, we just said they wanted to seize him. They wanted to kind of kidnap Jesus and place him on the throne. I don't know if they really even asked for his permission or asked what he thought about it. No, you're just going to do it, Jesus. And he withdrew. I don't know how you do that from 5,000 people. It's kind of like, nah, you just walk away? I don't know, he's Jesus. So he just somehow kind of left but the crowd here is acting a bit like a, how a mob of, of people would, right? They were first chasing him down. Just catch this, the whims of the crowd. They were first chasing Jesus down because they knew he healed people. So they wanted to see some more healing. Then they got free lunch. It's like, sweet, this guy gets free food too. He heals the sick. He's got free food available. There's miraculous things coming out of this guy. Maybe he's our king too. Maybe he's the next king, right? Their hunger seems a tad bit aimless here, 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 right? It's kind of aimed at some things. The need for healing is very real for those who are sick. Their hungry stomachs, it's a real thing when you're hungry, 
right? He did, and Jesus indeed did a lot of healing. And he did eat a lot of food with people and even miraculously provided lunch for this crowd. But here the desire for a king to overthrow Rome and start a political revolution, it surfaces. But Jesus never came to simply be a doctor who healed people only. Jesus did not come to simply provide food for people. He did do some of that, we saw. He did indeed come to be a king. Read that at the end of John. He told Pilate this. He's like, that's why I was born. Like, that's why I'm here. But not the kind of king that the people were looking for. Their actions show their confusion of who exactly Jesus is. Jesus wants to meet your needs, but he's bigger than your needs. He's bigger than your desires being met. He can heal. He told us not to worry about food and clothing. We know this. But this is what happens if we come to him only for these things. He may indeed heal. He may sometimes not heal. But if healing is all you're looking for, what will you do with Jesus after you're healed? What is he to you then in seasons of health? if all you're looking for is healing. Or even more challenging, if you're just coming to him looking for that, what if he chooses not to? What is he to you then? And just a little brief side note. This may be controversial to say, but I think it's the truth, and I want the truth to be said. Not directly related to our sermon today. Um, There are many Christians today in our own nation who I think, I don't know if they would verbalize it this way, but they appear to want Jesus to be king almost here. Like some kind of Christian revolution in our own country that has to do with political authority. Like somehow taking political authority beneath the church's governance, beneath the church's authority. Like I'm not just making this up. Like there's a lot of things circulating, some big prominent Christian voices talking this way, like trying to maybe seize Jesus and bring about a political revolution here. I want you to take note of what Jesus did with a crowd of people who wanted him to do that very thing. What did he do? He withdrew. He said, nope, it's not why I came for. That is not why I'm here. I hope that the church here can just kind of I'm talking church in general, Christian church in America, can take a deep breath because I don't want Jesus to withdraw himself from us if Christians in our country are looking for him to fulfill that kind of role. He left. He had the opportunity to do so here. Like, he could have done it. They wanted him to do it, and he said no, and he withdrew. I don't want Jesus to withdraw from the church here, so we have to be careful There's more on that in October. Stay tuned for that in the fall. But we'll move on in our sermon. Next, John goes into a short version of Jesus walking on the water. We won't read that. That's just kind of there for his disciples uh, in the story here to say, you know, um, he is the son of God. He is divine. He's the miracle worker, and he's walking on water, right? Um, But it's really the story after that is related to the multiplication of bread, right? that tells us that that story of the feeding of the 5,000 was just a sign on the pathway to faith in him as the son of God. It was a signpost of sorts. 
When we used to drive down for vacation to Florida as a kid, I grew up in Georgia, um, we would go down to the Panhandle area. We would stop on the state line, the same place every year. There's a fruit stand, right? I forgot what it was called, but they had like grapefruits and all kinds of stuff. Fresh farm, fresh food, right? Now, we would stop and have a little mini feast, get groceries ready for a couple more hours down in Florida for a drive. Now, this feast, it was not the vacation itself. It was a sign. Like we all knew as kids, when we hit that, my brother and I, my aunts and uncles and things, we'd be like, oh, we're close. Look, we're here. Like we're almost there. We wouldn't drive to the Florida state line just to buy grapefruit to be like, ah, oh, this is a great Florida vacation. We're done. It's like, no. Don't mistake the sign for the vacation. This is just a sign that says we're getting close, right? And that's kind of the conversation here, right? Is let's see what the signpost was. Like, was the lunch the end goal for Jesus, just to give them food and say, all right, hope you enjoyed your lunch. You'll be hungry tomorrow. No, there was more to this story. It was just a signpost. We'll pick this up in verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but, they, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went on to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate your loaves and had your fill. You're looking for me because I gave you a free lunch. Don't work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. We learn in six, uh, verse 59, this whole conversation that's here took place in a synagogue. So for all intents and purposes, think about it kind of like here, okay? We're just in some kind of setting similar to this. There's people like a Q&A with Jesus. They're going back and forth, right? He was probably already teaching in the synagogue. The crowd was like trying to find him. And it, that little synagogue probably just got completely full of people like the crowd found him boom they just rushed into the place on all kinds of questions for this guy who provided such a massive amount of food for um from a small amount of food for such a huge amount of people right and, and when they get there they're like how'd you get here jesus and he just kind of ignores that question he's like i know why you're here because you got free lunch and look food was scarce like this was a it's hard to you know Imagine what it would be like to live in those days, but, you know, daily, I mean, in Italy, this still kind of happens, right? There's, in some regions in Italy, there's a daily trip to the market and hope that there's food there because you need food for that day. Like, there's, you know, refrigerators and, like, you know, stockpiling for a week or two. Like, no. It was a daily hope that there would have been food for them that day. So, free food in such abundance that they were full and satisfied? They didn't just eat one or two sandwiches. Like, they ate until they were full, it says. Like, that would be something that would say, if I follow you around, like, our sandwiches going to keep falling out of your pockets? Because this is, this is great. Like, food just came out of you. Like, can we have more of this, Jesus? He's like, no, you're looking 
for the wrong kind of food, right? You need to work for the food that gives eternal life. And the Son of Man will give it to you. But he's the one that God has approved of. And we find some interesting questions that start going back and forth. In verse 28 here, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And they kind of know that he's referring to himself. Verse 30, so they asked him, well, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. That's a reference to in the book of Exodus when Israel was saved out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness wandering around and they had no food and God literally caused food to just rain down like the morning dew out of the sky, right? And they said, you know, our forefathers had that sign. What is your sign, Jesus, that we may believe you? Because that's how they believed Moses was from God because all these miracles came out of Moses. What about you? What do you have, right? And Jesus was trying to say it. You're missing, again, what's the signs for the person that God has sent. The work is to believe in the one he sent, not to look for the stuff that, you know, came out of heaven. And by the way, he did give them a sign like the day before, right? See how short their memories are. It's like, did not he give you free food yesterday and you're already looking for another sign? He already gave you a sign. But that's, I think we can relate in our short-term memory. We often just come to God, so just, God, why haven't you showed up for me? And he's like, have you already forgotten about, let me get the list out, you know. We can relate, if we're honest, with this. We all have short-term memories about the things that God does for us that lead us to say, show yourself real again. It's like, I I have. (laughs) Please, I've done it so many times. But he's gracious, and sometimes he still does it. In verse 32, right, Jesus said to them, he says, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Like, we want some of that, Jesus. That sounds wonderful. But it's not really about actual bread any physical bread. The miracle of the feeding of 5,000, wonderful. But the crowd is looking for more bread. They're looking for that Moses 2.0 figure. And Jesus says, what you need is a bread from heaven. You need the bread from heaven that's from God our Father, not from a man, not from any person. It comes from God, right? You need to be looking for God. He's going to provide you bread from heaven, and his bread is going to provide a life so much more full and better than just a meal you a meal that you eat that in just a few hours you'll say I'm hungry again like there's a new bread and it's going to satisfy you forever and give you like capital L life and they say I want some of that where can we get that and here's where it gets crazy Again, we read these statements, and if you've been in church for any length of time, you might be familiar with this, but you have to imagine just being there as a crowd to hear somebody talk this way, okay? Because it is a crazy thing he says in this in verse 35, that Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. If you were a good religious Jewish person in that day, 
Anybody know who made the statement, I am? It was God. There's a lot going on with this statement here, right? I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He says a lot down. If you look it down in verse 40, we'll pick it up there. He says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is one of the most profound statements of Jesus, and not to overstate it, but for any human walking for us in this room, right, these are one of those statements that is one of the most important statements for us to read and to absorb. Like of, of all statements in any book that we've read before, this is one of the, one of the few that are like, this, this is really, really important. Like my life could depend on me paying attention to what this verse is saying. Either he's, C.S. Lewis said, either this guy's a madman who would say things like, I am the bread of life, and I can cause you to never be hungry again. Either, either Jesus is a crazy person, or he was God in the flesh. That's what we're left with. The whole argument of, uh, oh, Jesus, is, he just, he's a good teacher, I respect him, he has a lot of good... No, like, this is crazy. He's not just a good teacher, he's insane, or he's the real deal. Which one? There's no middle ground here, Right? What he is saying is this, you are looking for life and that life is in me. He gave them food and they wanted more food. He showed them a sign. They wanted to be wowed by yet more signs, right? Who's ever ate stale bread before, right? It's not a pleasant experience. I have this memory. This is one of childhood memories that just never leaves you for whatever reasons, I don't know. That I came home from school one day. I was super hungry. Threw a hot dog in the pan or microwave. I don't know what it was and just cooked it right up, grabbed the bun from the top of the refrigerator, threw it in there, just took a bite, and just this foul, mushy, powdery, just taste just filled everything. Where like, I feel like for days I couldn't shake it. It was like in my nose, it was like, ah. Looked at my bun, it was just green, right? It was just completely spoiled. And I was so just anxious to shove that thing in my mouth that I didn't notice this bread is absolutely just one big piece of mold, right? And I just can't forget how that tasted, right? We try to find bread in this world in so many ways. The prophet Haggai in the Old Testament calls the bread that this world has to offer, that we think life is in them. It's like putting your food in a bag of holes that just the bag doesn't do anything. It doesn't work, right? It claims to be a bag, but it doesn't do anything. Things in this world claim to be life, but it doesn't provide life at all. It just falls out. The bottom falls out from under you. I took James um, uh, last year for his birthday to Dorney Park, and there's this water slide. It's just, I'm not terrified of a rise, but this was terrifying. You're in this water tube. There's water behind you. This tube closes over you. There's a 100-whatever-foot drop right beneath you. It feels like 100 foot. It's probably more like 20. But you're sitting there, and all that's left between you and this big drop is this little thin plastic base that your feet are on that you've seen it happen to the people in front of you. You're sitting there for a few seconds and the bottom just goes, whoosh, you just drop. But you don't know when it's going to happen, right? So you're standing there and you just know, like, I'm going to fall. And you say, good night, and you just fall. It's a mental thing, right? 
But this is what happens when we're trying to find life in this world is we think we found a good foundation and we're standing on it and we're like, okay, maybe this is something, but eventually that bottom just drops out from beneath your feet and you go flying down that slide, right? Any political ideology, any group of people, any sexual identity, any career or salary or house or material thing, any marriage or relationship, your health or your wealth, whatever it may be, if you're trying to find life, like capital L life, in those things, it's like putting that moldy bread in your mouth with the bottom beneath your feet, it's going to slip out any day now and you'll plummet straight down. Your only hope is finding the bread that came from somewhere else that is not, that cannot come out of this world, that did not come from man, but as Jesus said, came from God. Verse five, 51, excuse me. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I did not come out of this world. I came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That is Jesus who came from heaven. And he's referring to the cross that he would die on, on which his flesh should be broken for you and I, the filthiness of our own sin. And once for all, the good news that Jesus tells us that the fullness of life is found in him, in the forgiveness of our sins, in our salvation, in something that came from heaven and not what is found here on earth. This life we are talking about is found in Jesus by the Spirit of God in, in, in chapter 6, 60, verse 63, on down in the story, Jesus says that it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh counts as nothing. The things in this world count for nothing. It is a spirit who provides this life through Jesus. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and of life. The good news of Jesus as the bread of life is that you need to taste him if you are to taste of life. And it is a gift to you from the outside to you. And as we see this crowd seemingly just aimlessly trying to chasing Jesus around, looking for healing, looking for food, looking for a new political king, looking for him to be Moses 2.0, looking for him to be providing more signs, we're reminded of where we began, that claim of, of, that, of the creator of, the game of, the, uh, the game of life, the board game, when he was trying to tell us, life is aimless. You just, you know, in the game, actually, um, the, uh, the, the years just kind of run out. And when the years run out, apparently in this new version, then it's over, right? And then you cash in all the things you did in life and you figure out who has the most life points, right? It would feel that way with, if you remove God from the picture, right? That's how we may perceive life. You just kind of hear, then you die and make the best of it, you know, do the best you can throughout the years that you have here. Life is aimless, says the creator of that game. Without God, the aim of our life only naturally will turn inward. We'll start looking in here for answers. And that will be the never-ending aimless search. A few years back, NPR interviewed Paul McCartney about his own life. And nobody needs to introduce who Paul McCartney is, right? Because that's how famous this guy is, how influential this guy is, right? And the title of the interview was, What Makes Paul McCartney Nervous? And you would think, well, nothing. He's Paul McCartney. The heck can make him nervous, right? 
net worth of over $1 billion, perhaps the most single famous influential musician to ever have lived, this is how he responded. It seems to me that no matter how famous you are, no matter how accomplished or how many awards you get, you're always still thinking there's somebody out there who's better than you. I'm often reading a magazine and hearing about someone's new record and I think, oh boy, that's going to be better than me. It's a very common thing. The interviewer then asked, but Sir Paul McCartney, you have had success in so many dimensions of music. Do you really feel a competitive insecurity with somebody else that's coming out with a record? McCartney replied, unfortunately, yes. I should be able to look at my accolades and go, come on, Paul, that's enough. But this little voice in the back of my brain that goes, no, no, you can do better. This person over here is excelling. Try harder. It can still be a little bit intimidating. You know, for a brief moment, the crowd in that story kind of realized that they needed that bread from the outside that gives life to the world. Because the bread of this world, it's never going to be enough. And it's going to fail you. The secret to life is finding the true bread of life, Jesus himself. And when we find him, when we turn from our sins and believe on him for salvation, eternal life, it is a spirit of life that is gifted to us and a life of love that we are given. A life of loving God and loving others just as Jesus lived. Life isn't aimless, friends. And this world needs to know this. Like this is is when Christianity becomes good news right? Like this is a really good message. It's a really good like reality. It's like there is a purpose. Like this is wonderful because the world doesn't know this and I I know it. Like I can go, I can go tell them like there's bread that came down from heaven. Like he wants to know you. He's available to you. And when you find him, all that hunger and and searching inside is going to be satisfied. Can I please just, just tell you like there's good news. This is good news. Church, you are little Christs. And just as I said last week that you were like walking windows that Jesus shines through, you consider yourself as walking little loaves of bread, okay? You're, you're, you're as a loaf of bread, you, you sprouted legs, okay? And you're giving the world a, just a small taste through the way that you live, through your love, through your treatment of your neighbor, of the words that you speak and the way that you live. You're giving the world a taste of the true bread that has come down from heaven. So when people interact with Emmanuel Church, they say, what kind of bread are you eating? Like, what kind of life is this? I want some of this. That is the mission before us, friends. And so as we close today, I'm gonna call the worship team up. We're going to, as we always do, have a time to minister to each other. We're going to have prayer available up front, but I also encourage you to look next to the person, the person next to you, right? I would venture to say there's not a single person in this room who doesn't need more of Jesus in their life. There's not a single person here who can't just say, I, I need more of him. Like, I, I know there's just, there's just parts of me that he has, and there's con- he has control over them. I'm so, like, pleased with that. But there's other parts that are just not yet, and I need him. I need just an, a, another taste of the bread of life. I would venture to say that's most of us in this room. If you need prayer this morning, if you need healing, physical or spiritual, 
If you need to intercede for someone through prayer, if you just need to come and be ministered to, we're available up front for prayer. But if you want to pray for the person next to you, please, just pray for them. Pray that they would see and taste that the Lord is good. Because I am confident in that the Spirit of God is alive in this room and he wants to minister to you this morning. So we'll close with a song and have people available for prayer. Uh, let, me, let me pray. Lord, I'm excited to see what you will do this morning in this room, Lord. Lord, because I I know there's there's somebody here this morning who, that they need more of you, even perhaps for the first time, to actually just enter into a real relationship with you. Lord, as the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, we have... We're just so prone to just trying to find that real food to eat in this world and we just always come up empty, always come up looking for something else as, as Paul McCartney just confessed to. Like, this, that's us too, Lord. We're always kind of searching for the next thing that maybe, just maybe then we'll find fulfillment and hope and joy. But Lord, that's not found in this earth. It's, it's just from the one who came down from heaven, who can forgive us of our sins and can provide capital L life through his spirit. Lord, I pray that life could be found this morning in this room. Spirit of God, that you would just, you would bring life to those in this room this morning. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are available to us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. In the most majestic, holy, good name of Jesus. Amen. You dance Stand. You hold.